Kia ora e ma. Welcome or welcome back to the Imperfect People podcast. My name is Nora and I have the privilege of being your host. The purpose of this podcast is to facilitate meaningful and often vulnerable conversations with one another, speaking to our own imperfections and struggles so that we might give others the courage to do so as well. Recently, I was lucky enough to cut it all with my former philosophy teacher, Mr. Jay Sloss, and good friends, Lucy and Isabel, about the philosophy of imperfectionism and how it's applicable in almost every aspect of our lives. I hope you've had an epic week and enjoy listening to this podcast just as much as I enjoyed recording it. Uh, I'm Mr. Jay Sloss, and I teach at a private girls' school, an elite private girls' school in Christchurch. <laughs> I have done so for close to 15 years now. And I am 43 years of age. And I have only ever taught at one school and I uh, have no experience anywhere else in life. What do you teach? I teach philosophy primarily and a little bit of social studies and used to teach English until uh, I was found out to be a bit of a fraud of an English teacher. So here we are. I see. Wave experiments on too many children. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so-called experiments, psychological experiments on young English classes. <laughs> That's partly why I'm not an English teacher anymore. So there we are. I see. Lucy Aitken. Um, I'm Lucy. I go to the elite private girls' school in Christchurch. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you want a fun fact? Yeah, go on. I write music. Cool. That's my fun fact. And what was your most recent song that you wrote? Um, I wrote a song this morning, actually. Really? Yeah. What was it? Really depressing? The Damage. So it's very depressing. (laughs) I see. I see. Um, Hi, I'm Nora Quigley. You've probably heard my voice enough by now. I also attend the said elite private girls' school. (laughs) But not for long. We have, what, T minus? We graduate in a week, pretty much. Absolutely wild. Um, But yeah. I'm Isabel, I'm 18, I also go to the girls' school, um, and I sew clothes sometimes, that's yeah. my fun yeah. That's cool! No, I think that's an absolute understatement, she's being too humble. Her clothes are very cool. I haven't sewn that many. Very cool indeed. But the ones you have are cool. They're very cute. Because we sitting in our locker for like a month. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Mr. Sloss, should I start with you? Sure. That's our school bar. Uh, what is imperfection practically and tangibly in your life and how do you see it applied in a wider societal context? Hmm. I guess daily from the work that I do here at school, uh, there's, in some sense, and I don't mean it to sound as bad as it's going to, but there are sort of shortcuts that I have to take, uh, I guess, in preparing stuff for lessons. Uh, so uh, if we think in terms of philosophy, um, I guess I have to take an imperfect approach to that because if I do sort of try to have full integrity in the philosophy, the ideas and the biography of the philosophers in that, um, it, it basically becomes too clunky and for, my, for me it just becomes inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And so to make it uh, accessible to students, um, it has to be sort of, I guess, broken apart and I have to kind of cherry pick uh, which is to say, take out some of the best bits, some of the most interesting bits, and serve up the tastiest ideas, yeah. um, while leaving, I guess, the, you know, the uh, the less tasty ideas behind, kind of thing. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, there's, uh, when I say shortcuts, I mean just in terms of if I'm to really communicate with a young person about a philosophical idea, I have to dilute it in a way mm -hmm. or take it out of its original context. Because a lot of the time, uh, this, these philosophical writings are very hard to read, um, you know, and I have struggled with that my whole education and career, reading what they call the primary text. Yeah. So usually I have to go to commentaries or a secondary or a tertiary text uh, to actually understand the big ideas in there, because uh, I simply don't have the time, uh, and in many respects the energy, to really sit with a dense, heavy piece of philosophy, as romantic as it might be, to sort of sit down <laughs> with a big, dusty tome and puzzle over it. Yeah. I mean, I used to do that at university, um, and uh, I would sit in the library, take notes in my little notebook, and then I would walk home or go on the bus and write more notes in my little notebook. In fact, at university, actually, um, they had a nickname for me, which I found out years later, which was really mean. Uh, they used to call me Sherlock because <laughs> I would walk around campus or walk home and then suddenly stop, taken by an idea, and have to write it down in my notebook. And then one of the older students said that I looked like a detective taking notes, uh, gathering clues up together, and they started calling me Sherlock. Um, but, you know, I'm okay with that. And moreover, all my little notes that I take in my notebook are all half-baked ideas and really nothing has the, the systematicity and, and methodical approach that a, you know, a true philosopher would have. As yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, but I, and I think that's testament to like how you've taught us this year, and I'm sure that Lucy and Isabel agree, that like you've been able to dilute it in a way that makes it tangible and accessible for all people regardless of the philosophies and preconceived ideas that you go in to class with, mm -hmm. like every at the start of every lesson, but also at the start of the year, and how we've, I guess, grown in our philosophical thinking, but more so like how we analyse what's around us and don't go through life probably as passively mm -hmm. as what we did before. And yeah. then, you know. And hopefully, just have a little bit more yeah, critical thinking about things around us. Um, but I do worry sometimes that when students, if they do enjoy philosophy and then go to university, you know, maybe it ends up like being so different from what they do here mm. kind of thing. You know, I wonder if it's a disservice in a way. I'm sort of teaching fake philosophy. Yeah. Uh, and then you go to university and it's like, well, this is really long and really boring. Mm. Um, you know, so I guess sometimes I consider myself like a custodian of philosophy and, and of the discipline, but at other times I worry that I'm just contaminating it kind of yeah. thing. And, degrading its integrity yeah but I guess that's the whole idea of like imperfection in a way like it's imperfect philosophy and you could say that every philosopher is imperfect because it's philosophy it's there's no um no right or wrong it's just your idea and everything's up for interpretation mm. so and maybe philosophers try to get around that oh there's no right or wrong by using say logic to try to analyze an argument in almost mathematical terms. But logic is something I've always really struggled with. Yeah. And I don't really use much explicit logic in my teaching or in my analysis of ideas. And so again, there's sort of this thought that I'm an imposter or a charlatan mm -hmm. or kind of a philosophical fake because I don't have sort of like formal logic. Yeah. Um, um, as, as a big part of my sort of teaching, as it were. Yeah, and I think, like, imposter syndrome in that way of feeling as though you're not really what you think you are and in that right, like, it's embedded into almost everything that we do and there's, 
imposter syndrome is very prevalent and it's going to continue to be but like Lucy for you is there a way that because I think for me like imperfection and imposter syndrome are kind of intersectional in the way that once you recognize that you're imperfect it makes you feel as though you just you have the right just as anyone else might have to be in a space or to be in a conversation um whilst recognizing the privileges that you hold but like is there a way that you see imperfection in that light yeah i guess i feel like there's always a thing with like art and i guess philosophy to me like kind of is like an art like Mm -hmm. in terms of old writing and stuff and it's like there's always a thing with art that you have to preserve it and keep it the same and that like if you go off what older people did then it's like it's wrong and i feel like that messaging often comes across so much that it's like anyone trying to do something new in some sort of creative field whether it's philosophy or like music or whatever it's like you feel like you're a sham because you're like you're failing to do what you're supposed to do but it's like there shouldn't be a limit on what is like good philosophy and what's bad philosophy because it's like any sort of thought process and any sort of way of like just sitting and thinking Mm -hmm. about life is like a form of philosophy and yeah I think what you were saying was that like there's like it's good to change up how philosophy Mm -hmm. is being taught because if we're teaching like teenagers philosophy in the way of like reading the book and like this is what Kierkegaard actually said Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. they're not going to enjoy it and they're not going to understand it so I think it's good to change things up and on the imperfect thing I guess for me there's always been a pressure to and it's coming from myself it's not yeah. from everyone else but to like because I was really good at science and I was really good at maths to be like a, an engineer or something mm-hmm. science and mathsy but then that wasn't the stuff I enjoyed and so even though like my grades in school are slightly worse and like my like humanities subjects and my classics or whatever they're the things that I enjoy so it's better to be worse at something that you enjoy mm. than to be really good at something but to hate what you're doing yeah and it's so much more there's so much more freedom in that way like you feel as though you might not be achieving in the context of like education system that we're surrounded in but like if you're thriving like emotionally and physically and going out and enjoying waking up every day and feel as though you have purpose like what would you rather choose to do? Yeah, you know? I feel like there's always a pressure within schools to like, to be achieving and to get excellences and it's like you got everything in excellence and now you're really good and you've succeeded. But it's like, if those things don't bring you joy, then what is the point? Yeah, mm. totally. And like I went through a period last year where like materially I was thriving, like I had more accolades than what I'd had before and I had kind of, people were like, oh, like, where did she come from? Because I was always kind of under the radar. But then I got to a point where I was like, yeah, but I still feel as though I'm waking up with that purpose. You know, like, I wasn't thriving by any means. And so, yeah, being able to do something a little different. And for me, that was drastic. For me, that looked like moving like moving cities. But it doesn't mean that, yeah, by changing something, you might find a bit more joy. Yeah, like if you change things up, you're not gonna be perfect and you're not gonna succeed in every single thing yeah. you do. Especially when you're like changing from what you're used to doing. Yeah. It's more important to find something that brings you joy than it is to stick with what you know. Yeah. Even when it's you're good at it, but you might not be happy with it. Definitely. Isabel, I know that for you, like fashion and design brings you joy. Do you find like there was a pressure like in choosing careers and things after you need to 
look at things that were more stereotypically teachers or lawyers or doctors not that those career pathways aren't valid like they definitely are but did you find that it was hard trying to do something that was a little bit more outside the box um I actually didn't find that well I've never really known what I've wanted to do and ever since I was a child I've kind of gravitated towards those more creative things Mm. when I was really young I wanted to be a writer and then an interior designer and then I was thinking journalist, and now I don't really know what I want to be, but I know that I want to work in the fashion industry, and I'm just kind of go, just going to see where I kind of end up. I don't have any set plans, which I like for once. I'm a very organised person, and I plan things to the very last detail, and it's nice to not be entirely sure. Um, although right now I'm waiting and hearing back from unis, and that's not feeling nice because I'm completely out <laughs> of control. So I'm trying to change everything about my life that I can because the one thing that I want to change is not changing. Yeah. Um, which maybe is again that kind of imperfectionism thing. I um yeah I I think I am definitely a perfectionist. I put a lot of pressure on myself to do things to quite a high standard. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, I work retail, and you have, like, KPIs, and I always want, like, the best of those, which is just stupid, because it's just an after-school job. Mm. Um, and then with, like, grades and stuff, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Lucy said, I um, got really good grades this year, and then I just kind of looked at them, and I was like, okay, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really matter that much. I feel like they haven't actually done that much for me. Mm-hmm. Um yeah yeah and I think like there's a expectation for us to be perfect and it like you can say that it isn't from your family and it's definitely like for me like my parents were kind of like Nora whatever you do will back you like I could have been a ballerina and they probably would have been like epic even though I could not dance and didn't make a jump jam team growing up but like it was was so upsetting I know and this is the thing right like and it brings in the idea of how New Ze- like sport in New Zealand now and I'm sure in other cultural areas as well like they don't have representative teams anymore and it's trying to enforce the idea that you shouldn't specialise at such young age and there shouldn't be such an insane amount of performance pressure put on literally like eight year olds but how is it that we try and apply that that like it just shouldn't just be in sporting context like Mrs Sauce I know you have a daughter and how do you see her future looking like do you think that society might adapt to this idea of imperfection needed to be more necessary or do you think that we'll just continue to live as we are now I I mean I don't know I I guess sooner or later I sort of had some faith in people that they would sort of just see how ordinary everyone mostly is kind of thing Um, the British philosopher Alain Dibberton yeah, he talks a lot about that, about just the value of being ordinary and, you know, it's, um, in, in some places, you know, you might hear about people naysaying or talking about how it's, you know, you don't want to be beige, um, you know, don't be a beige student or don't be a beige person kind of thing, mm-hmm. as though, you know, there's something wrong with being beige. Um, but Debiton points out that, you know, mo- most people are going to live beige lives. Most people are going to be very ordinary and are not going to really soar to great heights even though we sort of keep getting pumped with this message that you know anything is possible if you just work hard mm. uh, kind of thing. And I just wonder if, well, I, I hope that just the reality of that is starting to at least crack mm-hmm. and we start to accept that, well, 
in many respects, life will be fairly uh, ordinary. Yeah. And um, rather than feel ashamed or guilty that we haven't achieved more, kind mm-hmm. of just to embrace the ordinariness. And I mean, it sounds a little bit cliche, but if you can find beauty and wonder in just ordinary daily things, yeah. or at least awaken to the wonder of, you know, what might be really repetitive, like a bike ride to school or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that there's probably a more ready to hand source of happiness. Yeah. So I, I would certainly be trying to cultivate that in my daughter to, you know, see that there is, you know, uh, beauty and averageness and everydayness. I mean, I don't want her to be mediocre, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to sort of her to feel that it's bad to be mediocre, mediocre or just yeah. average. You know. Yeah, because I think that that idea of like finding like beauty in the potential for your capacity and capabilities is like, in one way it's kind of on that same strand of you can put anything you can do anything you put your mind to like anything is possible if you work hard enough and have enough great determination and wake up at 5:30 a.m. and you know like have this hard morning routine but i think like within that it's it's a little bit ignorant because it doesn't recognize the privileges that some people do or don't hold and it assumes that everyone's on the same playing field and that's a level playing field and it yeah it's kind of the equity versus equality idea mm-hmm. um but yeah i think imperfection allows everyone to give themselves grace regardless of where they're at and um, the privileges that they do or don't hold but in the same way like what we were saying before it's important that we don't think of um, imperfection practically to be allowing yourself to discriminate against others it's you know I think um, something that people have asked me about the idea is like, oh, but am I an imperfect person if I'm racist or homophobic or sexist? It's like, no. Imperfection is about giving yourself grace. It's not an excuse. Yeah, it's not an excuse to go about life in a way that... What, do you, what do you mean, burnout culture? What, what, is, what is that? Um, I guess burnout culture is this thing that, for me, it was um, feeling as though I couldn't go to bed without sending every email and taking yeah, everything right, on my right, to-do right. list. And, always doing um, the extra Always doing the extra mile. Um, and for a while I thought it was, you know, so that I could be the best person I could be, but I found that it had become normal for me to push myself to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily because of the gratification of others, but just because I wanted to get myself ahead. Um, and I wanted to live a life that wasn't mundane and I wasn't finding the beauty in the everyday but yeah. I think like now going to university and I kind of realized like I didn't get into my first choice uni hall like it the things that I've done haven't necessarily put me any more ahead than other people they've just given me really incredible opportunities and had the experience to network and so yeah going to university I'm on the same playing field as everyone else and I'm really excited about that you know that I'm just going to be and normal like <laughs> I'm doing air quotes but a somewhat normal uni like teenager that's going in living independently for the well I've been living independently for a while but for the first time you know in yeah. a new place with new people and no opportunities in that way but yeah it's a it's a thing, hard thing to navigate as well I just wonder as well like with labels like elite yeah mm-hmm. um, you know and in many respects you know that label uh, is, is justified for you know the, the place that we're speaking in right now yeah 
Um, but you know, I just wanted that yeah. word has a lot of baggage that comes along mm. with it and, and pressure. Yeah. And when you're sort of you know maybe the third in your family to go to this elite school and you know, the expectation that's put on you. Yeah. Um, I guess that was that partly what you're writing about in that song, Lucy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I guess, for me, like on the family thing, I come from a family where like my dad's got a PhD, my mom's got a master's, like my brothers are of a first year health side and my sister's an engineer like they're all very achieving people and I was on the very similar path in terms of STEM and stuff and same with the people that I wrote this song with that we were all on that path of like STEM and a lot of us were being called like gifted kids and like mm-hmm. you're elite and you're doing really good and we're mm-hmm. going to put you in this like high performance program and it's like you don't give especially with kids like you should be giving young people the chance to just fail yeah. And to just try stuff. Because, like, and the same with, like, athletes and stuff. When people's parents are pushing them to do one sport and to succeed in that one sport, it's like, you don't give people the chance to try stuff. And mm. then you don't allow the space to realise, I don't like this thing, so I'm going to go and do something else. Because mm. that's what, my parents were really good at that, at that. Because it was always like, if you don't want to do something, you can quit. Like, as long as you know that you don't want to do this and you're going to replace it with something else to keep fulfilled and like being doing stuff like as long as you know that then you don't have to keep playing water polo or keep doing this Mm. and yeah I just think yeah it's the idea of like pushing kids to be really successful and there's like oops (laughs) there's like the age of success almost seems like it's getting younger Mm. that like the people you see like making it big and like music and like people going to the Olympics, like, they're just getting younger. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's only so 14 and she's accomplished so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm 18. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is the thing, right? Yeah, Billie, yeah, that Billie Eilish got, like, really big when she was, like, 16, 17. And then now I'm, like, 16, 17, and it's like, oh, no, I'm a failure because I'm, yeah. it's like I'm a teenager. Have I shouldn't heard... be thinking I'm failed at life now. Mm. Have you heard that thing, like, comparison is the thief of joy? Mm. Yeah. yeah, and it's so true. And I think even, like... The the negative the negative impact and I, like there's not necessarily lots of positives but the negative impacts of those ages of accomplished kids getting younger is that one it creates more pressure for kids to specialize at a younger age that you rather when you normally would start playing piano at five now you're playing at two um, but also the idea that like looking back on it now we're here we are at seventeen eighteen and we're like we haven't accomplished. anything as significant as that and so does that mean that we don't have the chance to be quote-unquote successful in the future you know Mm -hmm. but I think like I wasn't one of those kids that was like notified like being like oh light bulb moment like Nora's gifted at a young age like I wasn't you know I wasn't one of those kids that was recognized and so I find myself like subconsciously in you know years 10 11 12 trying to not necessarily be noticed, but to be like, oh, I am gifted or I am different and I just wasn't no- noticed at a young age and, like, be like, oh, if you're one of those kids, you can do it too. But, like, it led to me not being in a, in a great space emotionally and mentally. And so it's kind of like, yeah, how do we enable and allow society to kind of change that narrative? But, Isabel, is there anything that, like you feel as though, because you watch a lot of films, is there anything (laughs) that you find that, like, impacts how we see ourselves and that idea of, like, comparisons of Thief of Joy? Like, is there anything specifically in society that you can think of that looks at how we see ourselves? 
I'm not too sure why I feel like this. Um, I was like one of the smart kids in primary school as well, but uh, my parents have like never pushed me, never like been like, you're stupid. Like they've always been supportive and they've always just been fine with whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing, which I'm very lucky. Like just last night at the dinner table, my brother's in the year below me and he does really well at school as well and my parents were saying we're so lucky to have these children that will just study and do well and we don't even have to ask you to study or do things because you just do it Mm. and um so they weren't worried about you you know going into fashion or sort of your other I guess non um uh or sort of perceived to be low success areas that you were like being a writer for example it's hard to make it in that game and you know did they not try to steer you away from these things? Like you say, Lucy was kind of being channeled into engineering in a way. Yeah. Not by my parents. Just well, they, they were self-imposed? <laughs> it was by you like seeing your sister? School, I think, was a lot of it. Um. Because when I got, not here, but like being told like, oh, you're a gifted kid and you're really good at maths and science. Uh, right, and it right. was like, so okay, I'm good at maths and science. Yeah. I will do maths and science. Right. And then it was, I don't like maths and science. Yeah. Though. Oh, so that wasn't your folks saying, oh, well, come on, no. you've got to think about your financial future. My parents are always so They're like, oh, release your music. Like, you should go do your music. And yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and same for you. Well, yeah. The only thing that my mother's ever tried to get me to do was netball, and that just didn't work. <laughs> 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 she, she never, I don't, to my knowledge, she's never tried again. Um, mm. I've always been quite a stubborn child, she tells me. Mm. Um, oh well, you guys have good parents. Yeah, yeah. Parents yeah. Shitty parents. Okay, my dad wanted me to like be a manager or something of a yeah. small business. Oh. Like a, my dad's aspirations for me were, he, he says he says to me, Jay, you're not that bright, but if you work hard, you could be like a manager of a business. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like he wanted me. I think his aspirations for me were to be a middle manager, like so I would have people above me and workers below oh, so me. So not like attached. Like, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so, oh, you know, thanks, Dad. I'll just like get squashed in the middle. So you're, not even, you're not even good enough to be a CEO. So yes, no, straight up. Just, just go below. If you were to have a business, what do you reckon it would be? If I was to have a business, yeah. Uh, what now or back then? Back me? then. Or oh, back then for my dad. Probably like an accounting business. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, something. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you can do accounting, you know, I, I admire you, but it just wasn't for me. It was just, um, I've got the wrong kind of brain for, you know, that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, yeah, and so my folks were always trying to really channel me into sort of high success career paths. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's why, I, of course, I resisted that and went into philosophy. Yeah, um, and <laughs> the extreme end. relationship with my parents, but you know, anyway, uh, you know, I, I chose my path and I stick to it. Imperfect son, imperfect son, shitty son. Um, yeah. yeah, but no, like I think that it's hard because schools are always going to want you. Like, and again, I think the more traditional career pathways, like law <laughs> and STEM, and medicine. it's medicine. Like, it's not because they want you to not branch out but it's because sometimes those career pathways that you do branch out into are going to be quote-unquote more or less risky yeah, yeah. because of the fact that you know they might not have set career pathways but that's not to say that you still can't find joy and thrive and you know go out there and live your best life in a career pathway that isn't necessarily as what common as what school tries to encourage us to do i think it does come Part of it is that it comes from a good place of wanting us to do well, but it also comes from 
it's scary to not know how to mm. teach or advise about a certain career pathway and so yeah see um i've faced some adults being like oh like it's not gonna happen but to be honest most of the stuff the negative stuff that has been said to me has been by people my own age which mm. you wouldn't really expect mm. it's yeah. just quite clear that a lot of people think i'm just gonna fail <laughs> like they won't say it but the way that they talk to me about what i want to do and how i'm going to make it financially viable and i think it's interesting that it's people our age because again the message has been like yeah. drilled into us like yeah. you've got to be successful mm. financially especially yeah and people don't seem to realize that there's so many options to be successful financially even if you're not doing yeah. like mm. the totally. traditional mm. but because like school and society and just like everything has imbued into us that like this is where you get money like doctors get money yeah and it's like art people they don't get money fashion yeah. there's no money and it's like there is money it's just that people aren't told about it yeah. and also yeah there just shouldn't be such an emphasis on people getting money yeah so it's like i don't care if i'm rich i'm still probably going to be sad i should be happy something well, yeah. I like. <laughs> marx, Karl marx the german philosopher he t described money as the alienated essence mm -hmm. of our labor kind of thing like mm -hmm. as though that's the only reason why we go into certain careers kind of thing yeah uh, I mean, of course, it's a huge factor and affords many opportunities, but you know, clearly, yeah. not a life. And I think, in a way, like the conversations that Isabel's had and some, I guess, the discrimination that she's faced, like um, when we think about microaggressions and people's subconscious thoughts and how they act out, like a lot of the time we think of it as the big isms, I guess, of racism and sexism and homophobia and a lot of these, like, discriminatory norms. But it's, it can also be about, like, the norms of how we approach conversations around mental health or career pathways or, you know, things that just, yeah, we don't recognise but slowly steal our joy as pe you know, like, the conversations that we have with people. But mm. And it's kind of this idea, like, we were talking before the podcast about the idea of the boiling frogs analogy and we were talking about it at my church on sunday night um about like it's what's called creeping normality that um yeah we we are the frogs and um if we jump into a boiling pot we jump back out but if we um go into a pot and we slowly increase the temperature over a long enough period of time that we'll eventually boil ourselves to death which is i guess a pretty drastic um ending but it's kind of this idea that um, it was more about with sin and compromising, but it also is applicable to the idea of imperfection in the way that, like, when we compromise our well-being or when we compromise our dreams or compromise um, the things that we want to achieve, which for some people look like, you know, materially like making lots of money, but for some people means travelling all over and experiencing and, you know, going to big concerts and festivals or going to sports games or whatever it might be for you, like eventually we just turn into the shell of ourselves. Um, yeah, and I think we did talk a little bit about that in philosophy, but just about like, yeah, how we can become, I guess it's like the American dream in a way, a little bit. Like, I feel like a lot of American yeah. ideals have spread to New Zealand, yeah. mm. like in quite a bad way. Yeah, American nightmare yeah. spreading its way, yeah. Yeah, like also with the burnout thing, like I feel like that nine to five productivity and outside of nine to five is yeah. such an American thing. Yeah, it's just become so much mm. more prominent over here. It's yeah, like burnout has like burnout's one of those things that you 
like with the whole frog mm. in the pot thing that it's like because we're pushed so much that it's like resting is bad yeah, yeah like yeah, there's yeah. that messaging that taking time for yourself is bad yeah. like yeah. resting is bad mm. and it's the same with like um like exercise and pushing to do like heaps of exercise and like the mm. gym or whatever yeah. that like people think that rest days are bad yeah and it's like you need to rest, rest. In order to do well at something, yeah. Like if you're gonna push your body to do something, you then have to rest and take mm. time for yourself, and it's the same with your brain. Yeah. So like, if you're pushing yourself to constantly succeed and constantly do stuff, then either you have to take a rest day, or you're just gonna crash and burn yeah. out. Yeah. And like, I also think this idea of material success is a bit of like a colonial mindset as well, in a way. Like at the start of the year, we talked about to our Maori philosophy and how that's applicable, and um, how Maori philosophers and how they weren't seemed to have. It was people. just fully kind yeah. of racist. It was, well, yeah, it was yeah. fully racist towards people um, of indigenous cultures because they were thought to be not literate. That meant to say that, you know, they couldn't philosophize mm. as a culture. But having that idea of embodying imperfection, what does that look like to you, Lucy? Um, oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. I guess it's just, like, learning to be comfortable with yourself because, mm. like, other people are going to have stuff to say about it. But, it, like knowing in your mind that what you're doing is going to be best for your well-being and like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you like even if someone tells you you suck for failing it's like it doesn't matter yeah and um because I always get in my head about like my career path and not knowing where I'm going because I change like every week what I'm going to study um and my mum always tells me that like the career that I'm probably going to end up doing it might not even exist now yeah because like with the way that society goes if you're going into like a five year of study with a plan to come out the other side as a specific career, like it's very likely that society will change and there might not be a need for that career anymore. It's like there's this other new opening for it. And yeah, it's remembering that it doesn't actually matter how well you do as long as like, if if you are happy and if you are looking out for yourself, I think that's the most important thing. And that's the most important thing with embodying imperfection because it's like, I'm happy where I am and it doesn't actually matter what mm. other people think and keeping those thoughts out there and yeah. your thoughts are the important ones. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Sloss, like, as a teacher, how do you ensure, I guess, which you've done very well, that you're embodying the concept of perfection, that you're not feeling as though your students have to strive for success all the time and that embodying perfection and being imperfect means that some days you're going to be more productive in class and some days we're just going to debate for and 45 minutes yeah. and argue and then decide that we're going to be friends again when we walk out of class. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like how do you, as a teacher, like if there was any other teachers listening, how would you tell them or communicate with them to allow your students to um, prioritise their wellbeing? Well, I'm not telling them anything they don't already know um, in terms of, you know, use that word embodiment. I think that's um, a really good word there because we embody these values. Students observe us and see us. And when we start acting stressed and start taking that stress out on them kind of thing, uh, they are aware of that consciously or even unconsciously. Mm. Um, So I guess this whole... um, stress and drive around say perfectionism or high success uh, is is role modeled by us and for me I mean for, for better or worse um, yeah I, I guess I have 
tried to be honest and genuine in who I actually am. Uh, and that has meant, you know, acknowledging, you know, when, when I'm tired or like, look, you know, when something is just boring in class or it's just not going to work. Um, and, you know, there's something about maintaining standards mm -hmm. and sh t showing students the importance of that. But, you know, when it gets to the point that you're actually damaging someone, you know, psychologically with a deadline um, or the fact that they haven't managed to get a certain task in on time kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, on the one hand, one might say, hey, I'm a lazy teacher or I have no loose boundaries or, yeah. you know, um, but then again, uh, there's, for me, it's something about embodying like, hey, none of this is smooth. It's all bumpy. Yeah. There's zigzags all over the place. Uh, nothing is clean about this whole process of teaching and learning. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, ooh, I'm trying to think what we haven't talked about yet, which there's not a lot that we haven't talked about. But... Um, Just on the burnout culture thing, yeah. um, my wife reads a lot of anti-work stuff on Reddit. I think it's Reddit. She reads the anti-work <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but she always talks about worshipping at the temple, the altar of professionalism, mm. and sort of thinking that to be a professional, like burnout is almost a feature of being a high-achieving yeah. professional kind of thing. And if if you're not approaching burnout, um, then you know something's gone wrong. Yeah. And I yeah like I. In my oh, plug, in my TED talk, um, we I meant like I I think I said something around like we've created a culture of which if an activist specifically isn't on the verge of burnout they're not doing enough, mm, mm. and I think that's the same with every occupation every role even those things with like stay at home mums like if you're not tired then you're you know yeah, what I mean yeah, like yeah. and it's like other people who are dealing with burnout a lot because they're pushing themselves so hard then like shame people who aren't yeah. dealing yeah. with it and it's like this whole cycle because it's like well I've had to deal with this really like annoying thing and I've had to deal with burnout so now you should have to otherwise you're clearly not working hard enough yeah. this goes around yeah last year I went to the, the like emerging emerging leaders conference for year 12s mm -hmm. um, it was at Christ College and yeah they had this speaker I'm not sure who organised him he was a millennia, he told us that, he kind of bragged about it, I don't remember his name, <laughs> which is probably a good thing, um, but he made this speech, which it was quite clear the majority of the room did not disagree with, did disagree with him, but he was basically saying about how, how hard he grinds and how he works 24-hour work days and how at least once a week or like every two weeks he'll just work for a day straight and just not and like you're not being productive for the entire day mm. like he's just saying that because it sounds mm. oh my goodness look mm. how hard i work mm. and he just was very money motivated mm. and he just seemed kind mm. of bitter yeah. a bitter yeah. person i and heard I did all not about that guy that. after that because i didn't go to that conference and i heard like all my friends that were there sent me a message as soon as he'd finished going, Lucy, you would have hated this. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, okay. Yeah. You yeah. can feel yeah. the audience it's turning against It's like, they're like billionaire mindset. They're like, like alpha males post on the internet or whatever. That's like, wake up at 5 a.m., cold shower, reflection. And it's like, but I don't want to get up at 5 and I don't want to have a cold shower. Yeah. Like that sounds miserable. Yeah. And I think even like in the comparison thing, I remember, like, thinking in term two, I was in a flat 
which um, don't get me wrong, I was with my best friend, but they were they're the ones and they, they get up at the gym and they go to the gym at five and then I would roll out of bed at eight o'clock and they'd normally be playing the Crusaders theme song and they'd be like eating their poached eggs and avocado on toast with protein shakes and mm. I'd be like, you know what, I had a fantastic sleep. And even though I mightn't have gotten up and did a little smells class, I had a great sleep and I dreamed about exercising. And so, yeah. like, effectively, is it as productive? No. But is it productive for my well-being? Yes. And so I think it's that idea, like, how do we embrace productive, like, looking after the productivity of our well-being and the advancing and the, um, I guess, the balance of our well-being rather than the you know, productivity in a professionalism sense. But what was really interesting that I heard of when I went to um, Neurofit, which is like a mental skills consultancy group um, last week for hockey, was like, how do we, rather than looking at balance, have like seasons of prioritisation, which was, yeah, important. But I think that we should, you know, all try and then, embody and prioritize the idea of imperfection in every season mm. yeah I, I used to play water polo and i was like i was 13 or something and i had 6 a.m trainings at qe2 yeah. and it's just like i'm like i'm 14 like why are you making me get up at 5 30 to go to qe2 for a water polo training yeah. and then like that was one of the things that made me like stop playing because it was like I just don't enjoy doing this and it makes me exhausted and it was a Friday and it made me exhausted for the rest of like the day and it was just like now I have to go to school and it's just yeah it's that whole thing of like pushing people to start the day really early and to do yeah. this and it's like you're not productive if you're waking up at eight or nine or whatever. Yeah. See it's also it's such an individual thing because like I wake up at six thirty and people are like yeah. oh my god how do you do that I got to be at nine thirty like a geriatric person like yeah. I'm, I'm, still, I'm, I'm getting the same amount of sleep as you it's just on a different time scale. Yeah, yeah. but it's like that idea like at the end of the day imperfectionism can look like whatever it wants to be for you and like what I've realised in the last few months is that I don't have to wake up at 6am to accomplish the things I want to. And if it doesn't matter really if I accomplish the things I want to or not, it's more so about the process that it gets, like the process that it takes to to get to those things and the learnings that I have and the opportunities and the experiences um, during that time. But yeah, I feel like we should maybe potentially wrap it up yeah but obviously you've got to go yeah you've got to go off but yeah but just quickly how strange that our culture has dressed up all of these like things as virtues like working excessive hours uh, Mm -hmm. uh, neglecting your family or your wife um neglecting your own life and dressing that up as a virtue yeah and Rather than, well, I mean, like Lucy, that sort of master morality of just saying, actually, no, I don't like getting up at 5.30 or 6 or whatever kind of thing. I'm actually just going to take charge of my own life kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like, yeah. And, yeah. It sort of derailed our sort of nature as humans in a way. Yeah, definitely. I think you put it all together, Mr. Sloss. As per, you always <laughs> manage to wrap it up. The end. It's going to be wow. okay. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank, Thank you. you. Really yeah. enjoyed. We don't ever have another philosophy lesson, which I probably haven't come to terms with them for another few months. And if so, I'll probably be team messaging you in a crisis. 
But yeah, you get blocked up teams if you Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> no! <laughs> all teams. It's all cancelled. Oh, rough. But anyway, thanks for coming on. Um, I hope you have an epic week going out and being a cool kind. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Imperfect People podcast. I hope that this week you give yourself and others the grace to go out and be cool, kind, imperfect people. Bye.